Why did they crucify him? Goes back in the beginning. Let me sum up a a biblical truth in just a couple of minutes. God created this world and all that He created to show the greatness of all that He is. To put Himself on display. All of His wonderful divine attributes. All that God is. He created this earth. He created a beautiful garden in the midst of this earth. He took dust from the ground, shaped and formed and fashioned a man in His own image and His own likeness took a rib from that man's side and created a helpmate and told him that they could enjoy everything that he had created. They could partake of all he had done and enjoy it to the full, but one thing. So see that tree there in the midst of the garden. Don't eat from the fruit of that tree because in the day you eat of it, you'll die. Adam, the first man, and Eve, the first woman, our representatives before God, did the one thing God told them not to do. And as a result, sin, disobedience to God, entered into this world. With sin and disobedience came death. Ultimately, they would die physically, but in the moment they disobeyed God, in the moment that they sinned, they were separated. They were cut off from God. They used to enjoy the closest of fellowship with God. The Word says that God would even come and walk with them through the garden, talk with them, commune with them. But now because God is so absolutely holy, separate, apart from all sin, there is nothing sinful, there is nothing wrong within God. Now because the man and the woman he created had sinned, they are separated from God. They deserved to be under the wrath and the judgment of God throughout all of eternity because they had sinned against an eternal God. Not only is He holy, He is eternal. No beginning, no ending. So the wrath and the punishment that they should have faced should have been throughout all of eternity. But God in grace went into the garden and took an animal and He killed it and shed its blood because God would declare that without the shedding of blood, sin cannot be removed. That the price of sin had to be paid and the price of sin is death. Death. So he killed the animal. He shed its blood. He took the skins of that animal, covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And every time they looked at the skins of that animal, the clothing God had made for them, they were reminded that because of their disobedience, because of their sin against God, a life had to be given and blood had to be shed. Provide a means by which their sin could be dealt with, could be forgiven for a season. So once again, they could have some level of communion or fellowship with God. Later on, God gave men the law because He said, I want you to understand what my standard of holiness looks like. 
For only holiness can come into the presence of God. Because God is holy. And he says, do these things, don't do these things. But when God gave us the law, we had an even better understanding of how far we fall short from the holiness of God. The things he said that we were not supposed to do, those were the things we ended up doing. The things he said we were supposed to do, we didn't do those things. And so here we are, all of us have sinned against God. And the price for sin, that which we deserve, is to be separated from God under His wrath and under His judgment forever and forever and forever. And God, He could have left us in that lost sinful condition. He could provided the means by which over and over and over again, like throughout the Old Testament, we had to keep offering sacrifices after sacrifices after sacrifices because we'd offer a sacrifice for sin and just as soon as we would leave, we'd sin again. We'd need another sacrifice. And there in the temple, every morning, every evening, there were sacrifices because we were all continually sinning. He could have left us in that state, but He didn't. Out of His great love for us, He says, I can either give you what you deserve, which is my wrath and my judgment throughout all of eternity, or I can provide a substitute, a man who would live a life without any sin, Always live in perfect obedience to God, the Father. And then I could take that man who has never sinned, and I can take the sin of the entire world and put into him. And then I will pour out my eternal wrath and judgment on that man. And He can pay the price for everyone. The only man that was even capable of living a life without sin was the very Son of God. God in human flesh. And so out of God's great love for us, He did send His Son into this world. He was born just like we are born. He had the same type of body we have. But yet in that body, He lived a life where He never had one sinful thought. Not one sinful word crossed His lips. Not one sinful action ever was committed. And at the appointed time, God took His Son, Jesus. And the one who put Him on the cross was not the Romans, was not the Jews. The one who ordered the cross 
the one who ordered all of the events to bring Jesus to that cross was God the Father. He took His own Son to the cross. We're going to pick up the story. I would love to preach. But I'm not going to so much preach this morning. I'll get to some of it. But I want to share what the Word of God has to say about some of the things that happened at the cross. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 27, verse 27 and following. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium. Remember the place where the scourging happened? This is the place. They took him into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, a symbol of royalty. Then they twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. Every king should have a crown, right? And a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him. They took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, out of the city, toward, headed toward Golgotha, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. And they compelled him to bear his cross. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him. Divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. They put up over his head, this was at the direction of Pilate, the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Pilate, minute and mockery. The soldiers, minute and mockery. They didn't know. In their mockery, God was having them speak truth. Notice verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest, remember in our study of Mark, the scribes, the Pharisees, also mocked with the scribes and elders saying, He saved others. Himself? No, He cannot save. 
If he's the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross. And we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if you'll have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Notice verse 44. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Crucified between two thieves. Two men absolutely guilty for many sins. Being crucified for robbery, thievery. On either side of the Lord Jesus Christ, who had no sin. Even Pilate declared he could find no fault in him. Even Judas, the one who betrayed him, would declare, I have betrayed innocent blood. What about? these two thieves. Well, let's read Luke's account. Chapter 23, beginning verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified Him and the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then Jesus said, first statement from the cross, Father, notice the connection, notice the relationship. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, and even the rulers with them sneered, saying, uh, he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him, a plaque that was nailed to the cross above him. It was written over him in letters of Greek, the common language of the day, Latin, the language of Rome, and Hebrew, the language of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanging blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself, thus. But the other answered, rebuked him, that is rebuked the other thief, saying, do you not even fear God? Seeing you're under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. 
But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Three men on crosses. Jesus in the center, one on either side. The Scripture told us in the first passage that while they're all hanging there, the crowds who had gathered, the religious leaders who desperately wanted Him dead, were there mocking Him. Now, He had already been through several trials that night. They never could really find anything to, to pin a charge on him because they could find nothing wrong with him. But finally they got a couple of witnesses who lied and they were in agreement that he said he could, you know, you could tear down the temple, he'd raise it up in three days. And, and that's what he said. But he wasn't referring to the temple there in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. He was referring to the temple of his body. So they found him guilty, sentenced him to death. Problem was, the Jewish religious leaders did not have the authority to put anyone to death. They could have him imprisoned, but not put to death. The Romans didn't give him that authority. So they sent him to Pilate. Pilate talked to him, sent him to Herod. When he found out he was from Judea, Herod and his troops had made fun of him and beat him and sent him back to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, still could not find anything wrong with him. He offered the crowd a choice. It was the custom to release one prisoner during this particular period of holiday season for the Jews, Passover season. The crowd chose to let go a notorious guy. Charged with sedition. Give us Barabbas. Pilate says, what do you want me to do with Jesus? He said, crucify. Pilate had him scourged crowd was not pacified. He said, here, you take him, do what you want to. He walked over to a bowl of water, washed his hands, and says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. You do with him what you will. They took him to Calvary. There he is. The crowds are mocking him. Both of the thieves join in. Both of them mocking him. You're the Son of God. What are you doing here? 
But at a certain point, one of the thieves grows quiet. The other one continues to lash out. The other thief is listening to the crowd. Listening to their accusations. He said he's the Son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. He looks over at Jesus. He was in a lot worse physical condition than the two thieves. He had been beaten. He had been scourged. He had endured much physical torture. When they placed him on the cross, when they dropped that cross beam into its place on the upright, the Bible tells us every joint in his body was moved from its place, was dislocated. All of the skin, all of the skin from the scourging had been ripped from his body. You could literally see the organs and the bones. The Bible says you could not even tell it was a human being that was up on the cross. Not that you just couldn't tell it was Jesus. You couldn't tell it was a human being. And he's looking at Jesus. And he hears the words, Father, he's talking to God as if he's his father. Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Forgive them. There are those who are saying he did nothing wrong. He's hanging here unjustly. And he forgives them? He said he forgave others. He saved others. I wonder if he could save me. And he starts thinking. He looks up and he sees the placard on the cross above his head. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. These men on the cross, those two thieves, they were Jewish. They grew up in Jewish homes. Probably came from good Jewish families. Being good Jewish families, their parents would have taught them about Moses and the law. Would have taught them about God. They would have gone, to, taken them to synagogue. They would have heard the Word of God read. They would have heard the Word of God taught. But a point came in their life when they rebelled against their families. They rebelled against their government. They rebelled against their society and went their own way. They had probably sat in on vacation Bible schools. 
and Sunday school classes. Small groups. They had heard. They wanted nothing to do with it. They had come up with their own reasons why this stuff they're hearing couldn't possibly be true. No one can tell me what I've got to be and what I've got to do and how I've got to live. I'm going to do things my way. I want to be in control of my own life. Forget all that stuff. But he listens to the crowd. He listens to the religious leaders. He might have actually sat under some of them in their teachings. And he sees their anger and their hatred and their mockery. And then he looks at him. And he sees nothing but love and compassion in the midst of his pain and his suffering. The other thief. If you're really the Son of God, if you're really the King of the Jews, save yourself and us! Still hardened. Remember the the hard heart last week? That's that man. This guy's hurt enough. And he says, what's wrong with you? And notice, now something's beginning to change within. Don't you even fear God? Ah, Now something's happening in this one thief. Fear God. The book of Proverbs says, It is the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. Romans chapter 3, verse 18. When describing lost people, people that don't believe in God or don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, they say, it says in Romans 3:18, the unregenerate, the unsaved person has no fear of God before their eyes. Now this thief says, Don't you even fear God? Because now he's thinking, not only am I paying for what I've done in my life before man, but here in the next little while, I'm going to die. And I'm going to stand before a holy God. And it's not that I was judged before some governor on this earth. I'm going to be judged by God. And he starts thinking about what he deserves from God. And what he deserves because of his sin is his wrath and his judgment throughout all of eternity. And he says, don't you even fear God. You and I are getting exactly what we deserve. That was an acknowledgement for his sin. And he says, we're getting what we deserve. That's repentance. He acknowledged that that which he needed was something that could only come from God. God alone could provide his salvation. God alone could provide forgiveness. 
God alone can provide cleansing. God alone could deal with His sin. We're getting what we deserve. But this man? He's done nothing wrong. And there he acknowledges the sinlessness of Jesus. And the young man on the cross knows that the one thing he needs that no one else can give him is forgiveness. Forgiveness for his sin. Cleansing from his sin. Knowing he's about to stand before God. I need my sin dealt with just like everyone in this room. Why do you need Jesus? Not because He can provide stuff for you. Not because He can help you feel better. You need Jesus because you're a sinner who sinned against God. And either you can pay for your sin under the wrath of God forever, or you by faith can trust in what He did, what Jesus did, in paying for your sin. So He looks at Him. And notice the words. Lord, Lord was the name of God. He was acknowledging the one on the cross next to him was indeed what everyone else was mocking him saying. He is God. He is God. Lord. To say he is Lord now is saying, I have lived my life my own way and this is where I've ended up. Because of my own decisions. I don't want to be in control of me anymore. I want to give control to you. To say he's Lord means he's in control. He's in charge. Lord, remember me. What's he asking? Forgive me. Give me. Remember me. And then he says this. When you come into your kingdom. Wow. That blows my mind. Here he is on a cross just like he is. They're all going to die here in the next couple of hours. They know that. And he's saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Question. Number one, how did he know he was a king who had a kingdom? How did he know? Remember that placard on the top of the cross that Pilate had nailed there in mockery as, as an accusation? 
He'd been staring at that thing for a couple hours now. He'd been listening to the crowds and staring at that, and staring at him. That plaque was the first gospel track ever written. First gospel track ever written. This is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the anointed of God. I need you to forgive me. You know what he was also saying when you come into your kingdom? He believed there was going to be a resurrection. Because how was Jesus going to come into his kingdom when he knew he was about to die? He's placing his faith. He's going to be able to honor what he, what he said. That he's coming into the kingdom. The only way he's going to come into the kingdom because he knows he's going to die just like the other two. He's going to, something's going to have to happen here. So he comes into the kingdom. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the gospel. What I want you to see is the full message of the gospel was put on display in the lives of the thieves and Jesus. It's amazing. And Jesus' response, truly, anytime he said truly, start out, means this is important. Listen, mark this down. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me. Not on this hill. You will be with me in paradise. The paradise of God. That young man was the first person saved through the cross. Thief. Dying. Under judgment. Who found forgiveness and cleansing through Jesus as he hung on the cross. That's the only way any of us, the same way that guy was saved, is the only way any of us are saved. A godly sorrow over sin. Don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserve. A godly sorrow over sin. Not only do you, are you willing to say, yes, I've done wrong. It breaks me. It burdens me. It causes sorrow to know that I've sinned against God. That godly sorrow, the Bible says, leads us to repentance, turning away from sin. Talking to the other guy. We're getting what we just be quiet. This is the man who's done nothing wrong that we knew. A turning away from sin, a turning in faith to Jesus. That as he's dying, he's dying for. Why could Jesus tell him 
why at this point of the crucifixion, why could he tell him today you'll be with me in paradise? Because in about an hour, in about an hour, God the Father is going to take all the sin of that young man and all of our sin joined with his and pouring it into Jesus. Jesus could forgive him and Jesus could give him assurance of paradise because what Jesus was going to do over the next three hours, bearing our sin in his own body, taking the wrath that young man should have deserved, that he richly deserved, paying the price for his sin and ours. Every person in this room, every one of us, is on one side of the cross or the other. You either have listened to this message, the message of Jesus, and you think it's all a lie. You think it's all made up, or at the very least, it's a distortion. It can't, can't be this is the only way to God. Or you're on the other side. The one who looks to Jesus feels the weight of your sin, repents, believes, and surrenders and acknowledges that He's Lord. There is no other place you can stand. One side of the cross or the other. And the only way through salva to salvation the only way to heaven, the only way to the Father is through the one on the center cross. Through Jesus. Question. Have you come by the way of the cross? Have you placed your full trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you still like that other thief? hard-hearted, hard-headed, and determined to try to make it your own way. I want you to understand, if you go your own way, when you die, God's going to send you to your own place. What it said about Judas. He went to his own place in hell. Under the wrath of God. Throughout all of eternity. But I got good news. Today, God's given you this moment, this time, that He's brought you to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, if the Holy Spirit of God is granting you faith to repent, believe, and surrender, all of your sin can be forgiven. All of your sin can be you can be completely cleansed and be made a brand new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Give you the gift of eternal life, the privilege of knowing Him and enjoying Him. Being in fellowship and union with Him. Now and forever. Which side of the cross will it be?